Welcome to Second. So glad you were here today. I invite you wherever you are to find a place to kneel as we go to the Lord in prayer and get ready to receive his word. Father, I thank you that through the name of Jesus that we can come into your presence. Through the name of Jesus, we can come boldly before your throne to receive grace because, God, that's what we need. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your guidance here today. We've come to seek your face. We've come to hear the word that you are sending to us. God, we don't just want to be here today and, and um, to be spectators and critiquers, God, but God, we want to be men and women and young people who implement, who put into action what you're calling us to do. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to be Captain Obvious here to start off with today and just say that the times we've been living in the last several months during this coronavirus COVID-19 deal has been wacky, crazy, confusing, depressing, hopeful, hopeless. All those things just rolled in to one. Don't wear a mask, wear a mask, kind of wear a mask. We're open, we're closed, we're somewhere in between. School's open, closed, Zooming, not Zooming. I mean, the, the rules, I don't know about you, but the rules seem to change every single day. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of complexity, if you would, to what's going on in our country and really our, all around the world. So I decided that as we dive into God's Word, as, as we look into a, a new subject that I think God would have us to look at today in the next several Sundays, I want to keep things really simple here, okay? So we've been looking at Philippians 4, as you know, for the last five weeks. Philippians 4, great chapter, a go-to chapter in all the Bible. So here's what we're going to do today to keep it simple because things are so stinking complex. All you have to do if you have a Bible there is just take one hand out and just turn the page because that's what we're going to do. We're going to go from Philippians 4 to Colossians 1. And as we dive into Colossians 1 here today to start off with, we're going to talk about what I believe is the most important subject in the Bible. And not just the most important subject in the Bible, but the most important subject in the entire world and the most important subject in your life and in my life personally on a day-by-day -day basis. And you say, well, what is this massive, big, important, critical subject? Very simple. It's God's will. God's will. If there is a God, does this God have a will? Does he have a plan for this world, for the universe? And does he have a plan for your life? So today we embark on a study in Colossians chapter 1 on discovering God's will. That's a big question. I know I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Many of you have as well. Some of you are just kind of kicking the tires and seeking. Others of you are brand new. Some of you are widely veterans when it comes to understanding God's will. But I know for a long time in my life, there was a lot of confusion and really fear surrounding the will of God. For many, many years, I lived with the misconception that God's will was something that I had to divine, if you would, or figure out. 
and that he had this perfect will for my life. Imagine if I went into the worship center today and I took out a ballpoint pen or a sharpie and just put a dot somewhere. Just one small dot. So I had this kind of dot mentality when it came to God's will. God had this perfect will. It was a dot. And I had to figure out how to be sure I was on the spot and on the dot every single time. I had to make all the right perfect decisions. So a lot of my confusion around God's will and my fear was about how to receive guidance from God. I mean, do you do it through dreams? Do you do it through intuition? Do you do it through looking for a sign or something like that? If the stoplight turns red right now, that means I should go to college. If it doesn't, I should go to work. I mean, all these crazy things. But we have a lot of decisions to make. And many times we want to be sure that we are in God's will. Who should I date? Who should I marry? Where should we live? Should we have kids? Should we have another kid? Do I need to take this new job offer? Do I need to move to a new city? Should I invest here? Should I do this? Should I hire this person? Should I fire this person? And we have all these decisions we have to make. And I don't know about you, I want to be sure that I'm in the middle of God's will in those decisions. So how do you get there? How do you discover? How do you figure out God's will for your life? That's what we're going to look at the next several Sundays. Um, here's the goal. If you're wondering what the goal is for this series, the goal is that you would experience the power and the purpose of living out God's will for your life. That's the goal. That you would experience the power because there's power in aligning our will with God's will and the purpose of living out God's will for your life. How do you do that? What does that look like? Well, let's turn the page and look at Colossians chapter number one, verse one. Paul, still in prison, still in Rome, writing letters to yet another church that he helped plant in the place called Colossae, which is Asia Minor. Here's what he says, and you can see right off the bat, there are many things about God's will. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So right off the bat, Paul's saying, hey, listen, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, the reason I'm an apostle, I'm a church planter, and the reason I'm being persecuted and and in prison right now, it's because of God's will. He's like, hey, I had another job. I had another gig. I had another dream for my life. God's will changed all that. I'm on a different plan now. And Timothy here is here with me. Timothy was the guy that Paul was raising up. He was mentoring, if you would. Verse 2, who's he writing the letter to? To God's holy people. Holy means set apart in Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. We saw this in Philippians 4 where every time Paul is going to pray, it seems like thanksgiving flows out of him, doesn't it? 
No matter the circumstances, no matter if things are really tough and difficult, no matter if Paul is living in abundance or he's living in poverty or he's hurting or he's happy, Paul is always thankful. He's always thankful. Where'd we go? I lost my place here. Uh, let's go back to uh, verse number three. Or four, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven, which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. If you underline and highlight, underline true message of the gospel. This has come to you in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the entire world, just as it has been doing since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Underline truly understood God's grace. How did they understand God's grace? How did they receive the gospel? Verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, no one can write a long power packed sentence like Paul. Those eight verses are like, to me, this smorgasbord of a steak dinner and lobster and shrimp and sushi and fried chicken and bluebell ice cream and key lime pie. I mean, there's so much there in those eight verses about God's will. Let's kind of take it apart a little bit and focus on one aspect one aspect when it comes to discovering God's will for your life and my life, okay? Uh, back in 1989, there was a business book published entitled Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It was written by Stephen Covey. How many of you read, just by curiosity, that book, Seven Habits? My goodness, a lot of us here in the room, most of us have read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Groundbreaking business book, really. Everyone on our staff here at Second, it's required reading. If you've not read that book, maybe you're brand new or you're still in college or about to go in the business world, man, read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It is a classic. It's interesting, some 30 years later, a lot of the business lingo we still use, it comes from this book. The whole term, be proactive, and you need to have a mission statement, and we need to synergize, and we need to think win-win. All of that came from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits he talks about that I think relates to God's will for us is habit number three, first things first. Covey says you should keep first things first. So when it comes to living out and discovering God's plan for our life, God's will for our life, we need to keep first things First, and we see these first things all throughout Colossians 1, 1 through 8. The first thing that Paul was passionate about, that he was concerned about, that he wanted all of these folks to get and understand was the gospel. More specifically, it was the gospel of God's amazing replenishing, never-ending grace. Grace. 
grace. Paul says time and time again, that's what changed my life. I was going one direction, living one way. I was hell-bent on that way. God's grace changed my life and sent me in an entirely different direction. I'm a new person. I have a new heart. I have a new peace with God and a new love and a new understanding of what I'm supposed to do with my life because of the grace of God. And he's saying to these group of brand new Christians really in Colossae, hey, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about you gals. I've heard you've received this grace. You've truly understood the grace of God. That's priority. That is priority. That's keeping first things first is to live and to receive and to grow in the grace of God. It's the grace of God that starts our relationship with God. It's the grace of God that fuels us in our daily walk with Him. And it's the grace of God that will one day take us home. God's will is really all about understanding God's grace. And I would say this, is that God's will for your life flows from God's grace in your life. And the more you understand God's grace, the more you'll understand God's will. There's a reciprocal, synergistic, to use Covey's terms, relationship there between God's will and God's grace. God's grace and God's will. But everything in our life flows from the grace of God. God's grace is his unmerited favor towards us through Christ. That's what grace is. God gives us not just what we don't deserve. God gives us the opposite that we deserve. I deserve wrath, punishment, separation. God through Christ gives me acceptance, love, grace, power, peace. That's why it's not called Oh, um, grace, but amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? Look what it produced in their life. The grace of God produced faith in their life. Faith is trust. Even the faith we have to trust in Christ is a gift. It's grace. What else did it produce in their lives? Love. He says that twice here in this passage. I've heard about your incredible love that you have for the people in your church family. I've heard about the love that you have in the spirit for one another. And then hope. All of this springs from this confident future hope that God has in store for us. It's the grace of God. Through God's grace, we have forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins. When you realize that you've messed up, you've broken God's laws many, many times, like I have, you realize I've got real guilt because I've done some really stupid, bad, 
immoral things and I want to be forgiven. God, I confess those before you by God's grace through Christ. I am forgiven. You can be forgiven. I need power. I need strength to make it through this time, to persevere, to endure. God gives us his spirit to empower us when we are weak, then we are strong. He gives us that empowering grace by his spirit. And then acceptance. How am I accepted? How do I know that God smiles upon me? How do I know that I have God the Father's embrace in my life? It's because of his grace. I am accepted. I am perfectly righteous before God. How is that possible? Ben, I have met you. I know that you're not righteous, 100% righteous. I know that. This is not my righteousness. Like I said, it's grace, it's a gift, it's Christ's righteousness. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the good news of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek who are in the gospel. The righteousness from God is revealed. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If righteousness can be attained by works and being good, then Christ died and lived that perfect life for nothing. So I'm accepted right now and on a day-by-day basis based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's outside of me. It's external. Martin Luther said that a Christian is someone who is simultaneously sinful yet righteous. Tim Keller says, cheer up. You're far more wicked and twisted than you ever dared imagine. And cheer up. You're far more accepted and loved and embraced by God than you ever dreamed possible because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's acceptance. That's God's grace. Grace. Grace that he works in our life. If I'm going to grow in my receiving guidance from God and grow in my understanding of God's will, what I've discovered over the years is we don't need a deeper understanding of God's guidance, but a deeper understanding of God's grace. One of the best stories I know that illustrates grace is found in Luke chapter 15. There's a father, he had two sons, remember? An older son and a younger son. The older son played it by the book, followed the rules, working in the dad's company. Younger son got tired of that. I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. I want to go live large. I want to go pursue pleasure. And that's what he did. These stories never happened today. Amazing. This made it to the Bible, but it did. So the younger brother left, fled, lived large. Money ran out. Party ran out. He came to his senses, he hit bottom, he said, man, I got to go home. I have nothing to eat. I have no more friends. The pleasures just don't deliver the goods like they used to. I've got to go home to my father. So he goes home to his father. 
as he's walking down that old road and as he's making his way home, his dad, his father is looking and sees him and it says he gets up and the father runs to the son and the father embraces his son. And the son said, the younger brother said, well, I, father, I've sinned, I've messed up. I've, and, and the father interrupts him and said, hey, bring the robe and cover my son. Bring, bring the signet ring and put it on his finger. Go, go get the best meal possible. Man, we're having a party tonight. My boy, who I thought was lost, has been found. I thought he was dead, and he's alive. We're going to celebrate. So they have this incredible party, welcoming home this lost, wayward son who's come back home to his father. And the older brother would not go into the party. He's outside. He hears the music. He, he knows that they're having a festive time, but he won't go go in. And so the father goes out. Once again, the father goes out, pursues the older son and says, hey, what's the deal? And the older son says, what well, a lot of what we would say. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really? A party? A ring? A robe? After what he's done? I, I've been here the whole time. I, I, I've been living by the rules. I've been working my head off here. And the father is also gracious to his older son and he said, son, don't you realize that all of this is yours? It's always been yours. But it's time to celebrate. Because your brother is back. So those two brothers and their responses kind of illustrate how we respond to the grace of God or don't respond. Some people, sometimes you're like the older brother. Hey, I've earned it. Look what I've done. Look how I've performed. Look how I've lived my life. Others feel like the, the younger brother. Man, I've messed up so much. There's no way that God's grace could receive me back. One says I've earned it. One said I've lost it. And the father says, just come to me. And you can be forgiven. Just come to me. My grace is big enough. It's sufficient enough. And, I, and as, I, as I look at that story, I find myself in it. Sometimes I, I see myself as the older brother. And other times I see myself as the prodigal. And as I've gotten older, I see myself as the dad, the father. Where do you find yourself in that story? How do you feel about the grace of God and how God spills it out on some and lavishes it upon others? What sets us free? What sets us free? free from this judgmental, legalistic attitude that we can fall into? The grace of God. What sets us free from this inherent narcissism that we deal with and gets us outside of ourselves to start serving other people around us? It's the grace of God. What frees us from the clutches of an addiction that we feel like we can never be free of? It's 
the grace of God. The grace of God. God's will flows to us from God's grace. So we need to go with the flow. Not go with the flow of friends and culture, but go with the flow of God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. I think the first song I, first song I learned as, as a kid when I was really, really little was, I think I learned it in Sunday school. It's a song, Deep and Wide. Remember, remember Deep and Wide? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I can't sing. But you remember deep and wide. A fountain flowing deep and wide. That's God's grace. God's grace is deep to cover the deep-seated shame and guilt that can reside in our souls. God's grace is wide, (laughs) wide enough to embrace and reach around the entire world and wide enough to accept and embrace us and our life and our hearts. It's the cross, isn't it? Cross is deep and high, if you would. It's wide. Perhaps your prayer here today is first for yourself. God, do a fresh work of grace in my life. Maybe your prayer is for someone in your family. Maybe it's for your kids. And you say, God, do a work of grace in my kids' life. Maybe it's for your friends, maybe it's for your work, I don't know. God, do a work of grace in this area. God, I'm praying and asking and trusting in your grace. And we begin to discover his grace and live it out. We begin to feel and walk in that power and that purpose that God has for us.